I love you, baby. And if it's quite all right, I need you, baby. baby. (laughs) (laughs) Copyright strike. (laughs) Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello friends and fans and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host Helen Gould, one of the best Rusty Quillers, and today we're talking about the genre of rom-coms. And I am uh, besotted, enraptured, head over heels to be joined by Kareem, Maddie and Morgan. So, as always, we are going to introduce ourselves alphabetically. So, Kareem, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, my name is Kareem Crompley. I'm he, him. Uh, I'm a voice actor, occasional director, and I appear as Simon Fairchild in the Magnus Archives and John Belfrage in Inexplicables, in, in, in if I can get that through my mouth at all. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Maddie, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hello, my pronouns are she, her. Um, my full name's Maddie Searle and I um, am the previous um, lead editor for Stellar Firma, previous director for Inexplicables and director for the upcoming Chapter in Multiverse actual play show. Hooray, you can say it in public now because <laughs> I've announced it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> and there was much rejoicing. Yes. <laughs> And finally, Morgan, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Uh, my pronouns are she, her. My full name is Morgan Lee Davies, and I am the co-host of the weekly pop culture podcast Overinvested with Gavia Baker-Whitelaw, who has appeared on this show before. And I am also a culture staff writer at Bustle. Oh, I didn't know that. That's super cool. It's a new development Congratulations for me, on the so. cool job. Yeah, it's <laughs> exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... As you have been forewarned, we are going to start with a big question, which is, give me your favourite rom-com and tell me why it's your fave. I can pick on you, <laughs> or I can go first. Would anyone like to jump in? Um, I have kind of two answers, being cheeky. <laughs> Be as cheeky as you like. We adore cheekiness on this podcast. Um, so my... My kind of good girl answer is Obvious Child, the Jenny Slate rom-com, Ooh. Um, which was a much more recent one and not one that um, possibly many people have seen, um, where she is a stand-up comedian and she meets a guy and they have sex and obviously they um, conceive a child and she has to go through an abortion. But after the abortion, oh. she um, gets together with the guy and he's actually really sweet. So it's a really lovely film. Um, and yeah, just very funny and and progressive and great. But then my, my kind of cosy answer, <laughs> uh, which is less progressive, is You've Got Mail because um, I watched it so much with my mom and my grandmother growing up. Yeah. And we had, like, my mom and I quote lines from it all the time at each other. <laughs> it's the I Ching, um, go to the mattresses, all sorts of things <laughs> like that. Um, uh, I can't help myself. Just all these <laughs> lines that possibly other people would not find interesting, but my, me and my mom just absolutely love. So, yeah, um, that is that is uh, my cosy favourite. I need to watch You Got Mail again at some point. I think I watched it many, many years ago, but mm. I watched another film I'm t- trying to remember desperately a few 
couple of weeks back, and that was originally the original story that you got. Oh mail was yeah, based shop on. around the corner. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> if I is 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 you've got mail the one that produced that gif of Tom Hanks like rubbing his hands and then pressing yes. send on an email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. I I knew it. I yeah. knew it. That's just about when he's just about to launch into a a kind of fun rant about how much he loves the godfather <laughs> and, and meg ryan's character is like what is it with men and the godfather <laughs> but yeah that's quite a good accent you've got there well done. <laughs> thank you and uh yeah generally nora efron's milieu of rom-coms are high up on my list even though yeah they're, they're not very realistic and not probably not good to base life advice on um but mm. they are very very fun to watch and are full of incredible dialogue well you've got mail is so interesting because if you think about it for five seconds with any kind of critical thought you're like this is horrible yeah absolutely <laughs> because he puts her out of business and you then is like, well, we should just be together anyway. And she's like, I guess so. But he's Tom Hanks. So you're like, what? Is that it's how it so ends? I forgot like, the ending. Yeah. yeah it's, Does he just take her shop? Well, it's because he has the big bookstore, which of course now doesn't eat me. It's based on Barnes & Noble, essentially, which opened this huge uh, bookstore on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And all, there were a bunch of small bookstores that went out of business. Like this was a big thing in the nineties. He, it's so predatory. And yet when you're watching it, you're like, this is just really fun because these people are really charming. <laughs> yeah. One might say that's, is that a fairly common theme with Nora Ephron generally? Cause um, I watched when, when Harry met Sally the other night and it was like, yeah, Harry's an ass. Yeah, Harry's horrible, <laughs> but the film's great. <laughs> At the beginning. But... I mean, so this is the thing, right? I don't tend to like rom-coms as a genre, but there are specific films that I quite like. And the reason that I don't tend to like them as a genre is often because I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Mm-hmm. He's, what is, why is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, for audience benefit, I made very rude gestures with my hands just then. <laughs> But it, but in similar vein to the earlier comment, it's really Crystal saying, so, you know, he could do no, do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. Pretty much, so. <laughs> so Kareem, what's one of your favourites then? Uh, well, When Harry Met Sally. Um, yeah. Frankie and Johnny. And I suppose the all-time classic favourite, possibly one of the funniest films of all time, um, Some Like It Hot. Oh, yeah. Which has got the best, best final line in any movie yes. ever, I think. Joey Brown <laughs> socking it to us. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you like those ones? Um, I suppose they were a formative time in my life. Uh, mm. they, they, they were sort of popular at the time, and I'm, I'm a soppy date at the end of the day, and I just <laughs> I just like a, a nice, fun, and you know, you, you see the struggles that are happening. You know, you want them to get together, and they're just going to overcome what's going on between <laughs> yeah. their lives. I mean, I mean, Frankie and Johnny uh, has. Uh, it's so much more the sort of two tortured souls have had really crap lives till this point. Mm. And they're just finding their sort of kindred spirits and, and overcoming their own sort of challenge. It's, it's, that, it's that struggle to overcome the things that get in the way un, until they finally get, you know, resolution and, and happiness, I suppose, or whatever level of happiness they can, they, can, they can hope for or dream for, I suppose, is the thing. Yeah. It's that wish fulfillment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Morgan? What's one of your like? What are your favorite rom coms? Well, um, as I mentioned before we started recording, I really love the classics from the '30s and '40s, of which The Shop Around the Corner, mm. for instance, at, um, is from that era. And I 
So I was like very keen to be on this episode because I just love those old movies. And when I was growing up, I remember being in like middle school and the big thing at a sleepover was that like the, all the little girls would get together and watch a romantic comedy. And I would be the one girl who was like, I don't like girly things. Like I don't want to have to watch a rom-com. <laughs> and I think that was partially a function of kind of internalized misogyny, but also that the romantic comedies that were coming out when I was in middle school, which was around the early, like early aughts sort of turn mm. of the century were quite bad. Like they just were not good movies and, <laughs> and were really sexist as you were saying, Helen, that like a mm. lot of these films, especially the ones that have come out in more recent decades are kind of awful. And what I really love about these old movies paradoxically is that they are way more progressive. And especially in terms of the gender relations, you can watch these female characters have like a lot of spunk. Um, so oh. Bringing up baby, yes, for example, is one of my absolute favorites. And in that, Catherine Hepburn plays this like total lunatic woman who basically just decides <laughs> that she has to marry Cary Grant. And Cary Grant is like, "What is <laughs> happening to me? Like, I don't understand." Like, <laughs> and normally we think of Cary Grant as this like really suave guy, and in that movie, he plays like a paleontologist who doesn't know how to talk to people and just gets like taken over by this rich lady who is just like, "No." I'm going, you're, you're gonna fall in love with me. Um, and it's so funny and like dirty without them being able to sort of explicitly talk about sex. Um, Mm. so that's one of my favorites. I really love his girl Friday, um, which is another Cary Grant film, which is just like, they talk so fast. It's so sharp. And like, he plays that kind of asshole in that. But part of what's charming to me about that movie is that, there isn't really any sense of chivalry from him, but it's because he takes mm. the love interest really seriously as because she, they're both newspaper reporters. And like paradoxically, the fact that he doesn't always treat her very well is a sign of respect because uh-huh. they're both professionals. Um, but the one I love the best is probably holiday, which is from 1938 and is by the people who did the Philadelphia story, which is a little bit more famous, but holiday is um, Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Um, and it's just like more sentimental and less kind of zany as some of the other screwballs, but I really love it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, which I'll stop about all the movies from that era, but I think there are so many of them and it's a little bit of a lost art to do those, those romances. Um, Cause mm. they actually made movies for women <laughs> in the thirties, which doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's cause women were the primary uh, people going to cinemas mm-hmm. back then. That was yeah. the thing. Oh, yeah. really? Play to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did some, I was the producer on a podcast called women versus Hollywood. Um, and I, I learned a whole bunch of, um, <laughs> interest. I learned a whole bunch of interesting things about, um, very early Hollywood. And for example, like in the twenties and stuff, um, women were kind of seen as the arbiters of good taste, and um kind of moral purity and so if if women liked it then that was that was good to go um whereas that (laughs) then um when uh, the studios came in and uh, it all went much more corporate and wall street and big finance then the very masculine um values that still kind of pervade today came in so yeah just find that like the earlier era of hollywood very interesting um even though um, I didn't, I didn't know as much about it until I worked on this podcast. <laughs> can I can I plant a flag in the sand for audio drama? Oh, in what way? I I, I, lo- I love margaritas and donuts. It's just so cool. Uh, 
What's it about? It's it's a rom com. Um, Faith Faith McGuinn uh, did uh, Margaritas and Donuts Observer, Observer Pictures. Um, it's about two people who work in the same building. Uh, the guy's a dentist, the woman's a pediatrician, mm. and yeah, she's damaged from previous relationships. He's just thinks she's really nice and like to go out with him. And it's the various can he convince her that he's actually a nice guy mm. step by step. It's it's a re- it's so nice to have a nice rom com on audio drama as well because mm, yeah. given audio drama is so heavily genre based and all this kind of stuff. It's like it's really nice. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed. Um, I think it's called Fan Wars: The Empire Claps Back as well. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Like two very opposed Star Wars fans arguing with each other online and eventually coming to an understanding. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the idea. Of, uh, uh, like, I'm a big fan of like, um, what do they call it? Epistol, epistem, epistolary. Yes, yes. Like, like stories that are told through like letters or diaries or other forms of writing. And I really love romances that are told like that. Isn't rom com just an escape for those from? Given the fact the world is a bit rubbish around you, wherever you happen to be, mm. and you get to go somewhere nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like with so much high energy stuff and this and that and the other i mean I'm, i yeah, i love the marvel movies i love our superhero stuff and i love all the kind of stuff but there's just something great about just a nice sit down with a cup of tea and a, and a, and a couple sorting through the differences and falling in love yeah <laughs> yeah ah <laughs> oh. i mean the early films are really interesting because they simultaneously have this like a lot of them have this fantasy of wealth and these are, this is a genre that comes from the depression. Right. And so a a lot of the movies, they'll be in these like fabulous New York apartments, which as someone who lives in a New York apartment is very amusing to me because there are these like palatial (laughs) abodes. And I'm like, where is this located? Like, I don't understand. But at the same time, and this is something that I think has kind of been lost more recently like it's a genre that's fundamentally about class. Oh, so mm. obviously, like this is a period when Hollywood's censoring a lot of material. So, virtually all characters in Hollywood movies are white at this time, but mm. they're allowed to really probe these like class differences between characters and like anxieties around money, and that's a massive concern for people in America at this period because. The depression is going on. And so Holiday, for instance, the one of the movies I mentioned, Cary Grant falls in love with Catherine Hepburn's sister and actually is engaged to be married to her and not Hepburn originally. Um, and he's kind of like a you know, young guy who's made made money for himself, who comes from a totally like a nothing background, and they're from this very elite, like upper crust New York family. And what his dream is, is to make some money for himself and then quit his job so that he can go like experience life and figure out what it all means. And Catherine Hepburn is kind of enchanted by this. And the rest of the, mm. the rest of the family is like, this is so horrifying. Like how could anyone <laughs> not want to be in banking forever? And so that, that's just one example, but you have all of these questions about like what money means, mm. how look like classes are interacting with each other. And then like the anxieties around that, that, and how that interacts also with like the changing role of women, right? Because women are entering the workforce in different ways that, but it's like covered up with the like romance. Like they're just fun to watch as you say. Mm. Right. And I think a lot of the stuff that's come out more recently doesn't have as much of that meat on it. Like, even though these movies are really fun, they're also saying something that's like quite 
real and interesting. And I think that's part of why they were so popular at the time is that they were speaking to a group of people, which is like women in America, who were really thinking deeply about like, well, what what is our place in the world? Um, and mm. like cinema was, you know, even in a sort of frothy way, was trying to provide some answer to that, um, which I think is what's so fascinating about those films. Mm. It is so interesting to think about class in romantic comedies because now I'm thinking about the ones that immediately come to mind and they are all, they do all incorporate something about class in them in some way. Like I'm thinking of um, Always Be My Maybe where one of them is like a really successful like celebrity chef and the other one uh, is trying to make it with his band and he's broke all the time and still lives in like a small apartment. And and like one of the major tensions in their relationship is, you know, can you sort of accept me being from like where where you came from as well? Or like, and and her also being like, why can't you support me in the big things that I do without thinking that they're like snobby or... Gosh, you're absolutely right. I think there is still a a big thread of class through a lot of rom-coms because you have to have some kind of tension there. Mm. Need I say love actually at this point? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, it goes Ooh. back to Jane Austen, right? Mm. Yeah. Elizabeth Darcy ha- or Elizabeth Bennet has less money than Mr. Darcy and this causes all these these problems like it's an eternal you know stress. Um mm. yeah. And obviously all the people in those books are almost all of them are like relatively well off, but there's still this tension between like, are you kind of like comfortable versus like super wealthy? And then like the differences <laughs> in that, right? Um, 10,000 yeah. a year. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I, I believe the classic line, well, in those days, nobody was really poor. Well, nobody <laughs> worth mentioning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> And then um, Jane Austen still inspiring um, more modern rom-coms slash teen movies like Clueless as well. Yes. Mm. Which I absolutely adore. Which is one of the best. Yeah. So good. That's the one with uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd looking exactly the same as he does now. Looking exactly the f***. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And it has great soundtrack as well. It's got Radiohead in it. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. I actually, I often get clueless, confused with Legally Blonde, <laughs> and I think um, that's my that's my big confession for the episode. <laughs> it takes a while for me to sort them out from each other. Um, I did also, I really liked Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a big one. Absolute classic. The scene of um, Heath Ledger running down the bleachers running away from, like, campus security, singing. Yeah. Um, oh. I love you, baby. And, and if it's, it's quite all right, right, I need, need you, baby. baby. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright strike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was one of my first, like, ones. Like, because not only was it a rom-com, which I had decided at that age that I did not like, it was also an American teen movie, which I still do not really like in general because I'm just, I can't stand how mean everyone is. Oh yeah, I understand For large portions of those films. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> but it, I, I actually liked that. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe I can like these things. <laughs> well, my freshman year of high school, we read The Taming of the Shrew in my English class. And mm. my teacher whom I did not like um 
tried to tell us it was secretly or it was like really a feminist text and i was like it mm. is not. <laughs> <laughs> i know scholars love to try to argue that because they don't want shakespeare to have written that piece of misogynist like dreck but unfortunately <laughs> it's very sexist and so i was not having any of this um and mm. i don't think she liked how like intensely opinionated i was but we also watched that movie and i was like 14 so of course i was peak age to be like I don't like this movie about teenagers. It's very silly and I hate this play. (laughs) And then I didn't watch it again for like 15 years and love Heath Ledger, like one of my favorite actors and was like, gotta rewatch this. And it's so charming. Like, I don't think it's perfect, but I think that Mm. era, like 90s to early 2000s era of like a lot of teen stuff, but I feel like Legally Blonde is in a very similar zone of mm. like poppy feminist stuff that is very deliberately feminine, but also really smart and spunky that Hollywood was doing at that time, I think has aged yeah. really well that I was not in a place to appreciate while it was coming out. But now I can be like, Oh yeah, no, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Let us all forgive our teenage selves. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was such a, like a music snob when I was a teenager. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a friend like that, but he actually did have extremely good music taste and put me on to a lot of really good people. So I also forgive him. <laughs> hey, I grew up in the 80s. I I've got no excuse. Oh, my gosh. But you ha- oh, I was I was about to say Heathers, but that's not really a rom-com, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's a teen movie, but it ends quite <laughs> bleakly. <laughs> it's a goth rom-com, maybe, you know. <laughs> I have to. I fell asleep. I fell asleep when I. I've only seen it once, and I fell asleep in the middle of it. And I woke up, and everyone was dead. And I was like, "What happened?" (laughs) (laughs) The Heather's musical is fun. I think the film was a bit too bleak for me, but adding a bit of peppy um, music to it kind of spiced it up for me. (laughs) (sighs) There is. But yeah, I think a recent favorite of mine is is still always be my maybe because even that there are I I like so many different romantic tropes, but one that I always forget that I like is the friends to lovers thing. I really love the idea of like what's that, what's that really cliched way of putting it where it's like ah it was in front of your face all along kind of thing, <laughs> and like the uncertainty of that I love. Yeah. And it was also very funny. And yeah. uh, Keanu Reeves turning up and being like a ridiculous, exaggerated parody. Of, in fact, not even a parody of himself, because it, the character, the character Keanu Reeves that Keanu Reeves plays in Always Be My Maybe <laughs> is nothing at all like what I think the real Keanu Reeves is. Well, he's so known for being like such a nice person yeah. yeah and if you read any interview with him it's so apparent that he is really smart and just yeah. like likes to hang out with his artist girlfriend and like read books in translation like that's his idea of a good time and so yeah and his willingness to be in that movie speaks to his complete lack of vanity right yeah um i didn't love that film but i thought all the stuff with him was at like i was crying with laughter he was yeah. so funny <laughs> We're gonna have we're gonna have to have a list of these things so we can all go back and watch the rest of them afterwards. Yeah, I'm making notes of the ones <laughs> I haven't so, seen. Notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I love Obvious Child, which you mentioned, Maddie, at the beginning. Um, I mm. want to interrupt when you were you were giving off your list, but I think that's my favorite of like recent years. Yeah. I think that movie is so unbelievably smart and really, really funny. And like the characters just feel like such recognizable. Obviously, they're very funny and kind of heightened. But again, as someone who lives in New York, and I was living in New York at that time, I felt so much like I could completely meet these people. <laughs> and yet it feels not like a like mumblecore-ish like indie movie. Like it's very much is like a constructed rom-com and pulling off both those things at once is really kind of amazing. And it's political without being like annoying. Yeah. Which is also impressive. Yeah. Wow. Just even like the scene with her having dinner with her dad, you're just like, oh, the family dynamics in this just feels so real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out of interest, did anyone has anyone seen Last Christmas no. with Amelia Clark and Henry Golding? No, I remember it coming out and I read the plot summary, but I have not actually seen it. Yeah. Because the plot summary turned me off. I think I was working in a cinema when it came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I am not. I I watched it because it was on, and um, I was trying to read a book about ancient Rome at the time, and it seemed like decent like background noise. Um, can I spoil the plot for you? Yeah, go for it. Are you all? I already know. So. Uh, okay, listeners, I'm about to completely spoil Last Christmas for a second, right? So. Um, it's got some really interesting uh, stuff in there about like um, depression and um, uh, some commentary on like Brexit and stuff like that. Some interesting little through lines. Um, but the overarching thing is um, Amelia Clark falls in love with someone who turns out to be a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> and- <laughs> and- <laughs> okay, so the thing is, so uh, Amelia Clark's character has had a heart transplant. And she gets haunted by the person who gave her the heart. Uh. And and I was just gobsmacked. <laughs> it's like, I see dead people in a romantic way. <laughs> it was, I knew something was off with him from the start because no one else ever interacted with him. And um, she was always just meeting him randomly out in the street and stuff like that. And like, he like makes her a better person kind of thing. But that plot twist really just knocked me out. <laughs> and I just needed to tell someone about it. <laughs> Entirely fair. I just, can you imagine being in a meeting with like studio executives and saying, like, <laughs> I've got a great twist. Like this, everyone will love this. Like, <laughs> no, they won't. Like, what? Like, people are going to want them to get together, and then he's dead. Like, I just... It boggles the mind. I don't... I really don't understand. <laughs> I was really into a B-plot romance between um, the proprietor of, like, a an all-year-round Christmas shop and, um, a, I think, a German guy who also really loves Christmas and they sort of bond over tacky ornaments. That was great. Um, but yeah, I just, I, my mum doesn't really get these things and also was asleep for most of Christmas. So I couldn't turn to her and be like, did you just see what I just saw? <laughs> oh, um, okay. Audience, we have stopped spoiling last Christmas. <laughs> 
But on that, I think we're going to take a little break. Oh, I've timed that perfectly. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey everyone, Mike here, voice of Tim Stoker from the Magnus Archives, and I'm here to tell you about our new YouTube Let's Play series, NPC New Player Challenges, launching February 2022 on Rusty Quill's new channel, Rusty Quill Video. That's right, we're launching a shiny new gaming series to show off our favorite video games and some new ones as well, to test our hashtag gamer skills and have fun with friends and get a little bit competitive too. You see, it's a gaming series, but there's a catch. We won't just be playing the games, we'll be reinventing them a little. In every game we play, we'll be set a challenge by the producers that we'll need to overcome, and our community get to choose the reward for the winner. Each episode will be almost totally out of our hands. Scary. In the comments section, you can suggest what rewards you might like to see us win, and we'll select one totally at random, so long as it's actually achievable and not shipping one of us off on an all-expenses-paid round-the-world trip. Nice as that sounds. Every episode will be releasing on Patreon first before it airs on YouTube, which means if you're a Patreon, then you'll not only get to see the videos before everyone else, but you'll also get first votes on the rewards we could win. So get ready for NPC, New Player Challenges, releasing February 2022 on our brand new YouTube channel, Rusty Quill Video. And welcome back. So in the break, Kareem, you said you wanted to talk about... Um a couple of very specific rom-coms. Well, the, the Simon Pegg oeuvre of rom-coms, I suppose. Okay. Which have, have certain sort of fairly standard tropes, um, like the uh, unsuitable other partner and stuff like that. But I think Simon Pegg does a, a, a great everyman for a rom-com uh, leading man, for want of a better phrase, rather than, you know, we've been talking about Cary Grant, who's possibly so swoonable, almost anyone would fall in love with him. <laughs> In that case, but yes, yeah, so um, yeah, run, fat boy, run, and uh, and uh, a, a man up. So, what uh, are those about? I haven't seen either. Run, fat boy, run is um, Simon play, plays a character who's at the beginning of the film is about to get married to his heavily pregnant girlfriend and runs away from the wedding. <gasps> <laughs> oh yes, I'm scandalised. <laughs> yes, uh, and then a few years later. Um, He's he's a sort of slobby guy, trying to get on with life, etc. And she's getting about to get married in a relationship with this this high powered um, American played by Hank Azaria, who's an absolute <clears throat> expletive deleted, mm-hmm. uh, and he he tries to sort of win her back in all kinds of ways. And Frank is someone who who uh, race, run, runs a you know. 10k and marathons and all this kind of stuff and so in that classic way you might do so well i'll do it then mm. and <laughs> man who's never run ever then decides to run a marathon and uh hank's character and he sort of have various indications across the uh the race and it all ends up nicely in the end 
with all kinds of, but that's that that was that's a really nice one with you know it's in the sort of slobby rom-com rather than sort of high class <laughs> well there's, there's the class differential between hank's character and him mm. um but yeah with the the man not being the the sort of uh high status kind of kind of thing in that in that situation mm. uh and um uh man up he goes on the wrong blind date uh, <gasps> so there's that there's that trope um and that's that's with lake bell um famous for doing lots of voiceovers and stuff like that as well um and they you know they go through all kinds of stuff around london on this on this wrong date after a while they realize they're actually on the wrong the, the wrong blind date and hilarity ensues mm. <laughs> but that, yeah they really they, they eventually get together with the right people and they realize they're actually the wrong people and they get back together again in the end it's really nice <laughs> oh that sounds fun Although that's not actually a trope I've come across a lot, the wrong blind date one. Is that something that the other two of you have? Is that a... No. no. I don't think so. Oh, that's interesting. I think it was one of the one of the early um, appearances of uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as well was in Man Up as well. So. Oh, interesting. Very cool. That, those are real cool fun. And even something <laughs> like Shaun of the Dead has a lot of rom-com elements to it, despite oh, yeah. the fact that it's chock full of zombies. <laughs> That's a horror rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> a zom rom-com, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would also put my hat in the ring for Venom being a rom-com. <laughs> but, you know... I'm, I'm trying to catch up with my superhero movies and Venom's on my list. <laughs> I haven't got that yet. <laughs> it's, it's so silly, but I love it very much. Both of them, in fact. Um, especially because the second one is like... They break up and then get back together <laughs> in it, basically. Like, they, they have a fight and, like, Venom, like, storms out and everything. And, like, goes on, like, a journey of self-discovery. <laughs> and then realises, oh, I miss Eddie. <laughs> um, oh, they're very silly films, but they have such a big place in my heart. And I will, I will, I will kill and die on this hill. <laughs> they are romantic comedies about a man and his alien. <laughs> the first one is like explicitly structured as such. I mean, isn't it? Yeah. And the marketing team was marketing it that way after it came out and did so well. So they clearly knew what mm. they had on their hands. I think yes. everyone involved in those movies understood that they were making like weird performance art for Tom Hardy. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, the Marvel people have to pretend or sincerely believe that everything they're doing is really serious and important, and I don't think that anyone involved in Venom was under that delusion, except perhaps Tom <laughs> Hardy himself, and everyone else was, like, facilitating that for him, which, you know what? Great. That's fine. <laughs> Sounds like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Everyone realized it was it, it was a panto, except for Kevin Costner. <laughs> I actually think Tom Holland is extremely self-aware, and I think he had an absolutely great time. I I read somewhere that the 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 lobster scene was not scripted. No. Um, so Kareem, there is a scene where Tom, uh, oh god, I need to call him Tom Holland then, um, where Tom Hardy just climbs into a, a tank of lobsters. <laughs> um, and you know what mood? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> he's just having so much fun especially because he voices both Eddie Brock and Venom so yeah 
I wanted to talk a little bit about like popular tropes in romantic comedies. We've already touched on some. So we've got like the the wrong blind date. We've got friends to lovers. We've got um, alien parasites to lovers. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ghosts to lovers. <laughs> rivals to lovers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what what others am I missing? Because I know there's a lot. Um, oh, um, in 10 Things I Hate About You, and I think possibly some other rom-coms, there's the kind of thing where I'll pay you to date this girl and then they <sighs> end up falling for the girl. Like, or like there's a kind of... The fake dating yeah, trope. The fake date where it's yes. like, oh, I'm only dating you because of this, but then actually they fall in love during that um, charade. Yeah. And then they don't know if the other person is like still like faking or not and then I, oh yeah that's yeah. A great one. Oh, you're being paid to date me oh gross go away <laughs> no but I, I i used to that was the thing that... i was at the beginning and then i fell yeah. in love with you <laughs> <laughs> or you have the ones where like they agree beforehand that they're going to pretend to date each other for whatever reason yeah. like oh, yeah, like um, a green card oh, or something i've got yeah, it's like, oh, I'm meeting my family and they're going to interrogate me as to whether I have, I've got a partner. Can you just come and pretend that kind of thing? And then they start taking them to all kinds of family get togethers or... Um... Green card is nice. Yeah. Like green card. <laughs> but then it's Gerard Depardieu. I mean, well, see, he may not be quite quite the man these days. I, I loved him in so many movies back in the day. <laughs> yeah. I actually... Um... I did a sensitivity reading for a book that had fake dating as its premise, which was really fun, where like um, they were both doing it for their one of the so the guy was doing it for his career because his bosses wanted him to like settle down so they could take him seriously and give him a promotion. And the woman was doing it to Mm. get back at her ex. That classic trope. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And that that was done so well. And it was so much fun. There's a kind of trope that I'm not even sure is really a trope, but it's one that in a couple of films that I really like, um, which is in While You Were Sleeping and My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the protagonist kind of falls in love with the family of the, oh, yes. of the partner at the same time. And even though there's issues with um, both of them uh, for various reasons, um, I really like that kind of, oh, they just they just need a place in a family kind of thing. And it's just, it's mm. really sweet. You have to appreciate my big fat Greek wedding was basically somebody filming my, my wedding. Any more fun tropes that we've come across in rom-coms? I really love the uh, comedy of remarriage, which was a big one in... Back in the day, as I keep referencing, although I feel like there have been some more recently, um, which sometimes you literally will have like a divorced couple that then gets back together. And sometimes it's more that there's like a romance at the beginning and then there's like some separation and then they come back. Um, Mm. But like his girl Friday, obviously, is like a couple that has been together and then divorced and comes back. And like he's pursuing her really avidly and the Philadelphia story as well. and then there's the Cary Grant's breakout was um, a film called The Awful Truth, which is a sim- like they just did this over and over again. Clearly, there was something <laughs> in the water where people are like, again, really anxious about the state of marriage and like women being able to like decide they wanted to get divorced. But then they get back together mm. with the original husband. But there's a way of kind of like humbling, I think, the husband in a lot of those situations. Um but you wind up with a lot of great scenes with characters who know each other really well. So the dialogue can be really good because they're just like mm. 
going so fast at each other because they've gotten past the initial stage where like they're getting to know each other because they already know how to insult each other really well because they've been <laughs> known each other for so long. Mm. And I often like, I mean, in general, like with sitcoms, I don't like the ones that are nice. Like I like when they're kind of cynical. So like when there's a <laughs> romance with a kind of edge to it, like that appeals to me a lot. Yeah. And if the couple has broken up and then, already then there's some something going on that's a little more you know with barbs um so i really i really love those films um yeah yeah and i think um i'm trying to think of the kind of tropes in it happened one night because we haven't really discussed that one yet um with uh, was that yeah um clark gable and claudette colbert um so he is a newspaper reporter and she is a rich heiress who's kind of run away because she doesn't want to get married and they're just kind of stuck together on this weird road trip where they're just trying to get across America and failing oh. <laughs> and, um, yeah it's kind of one of those ones where it's like they're stuck together for some reason and they have to kind of muddle mm. along and try and work something out and then after lots of barbs and like insults flung at each other they eventually um get together and then there's a very um innuendo filled bit at the end where they've set up this thing about the walls of jericho where they put a blanket between their two beds so to like (laughs) to make sure that they are like they're sleeping in the twin beds and they're not sleeping together and it's all very proper and then at the end it's like the walls of jericho fell that night (laughs) and so it's like obviously (laughs) they slept together (laughs) Well, that movie has the class stuff, right? Because he's just this like working reporter and she's fabulously wealthy. And usually it's the man who has the money. And Mm. then like the woman is allowed to marry up by marrying a rich guy. Like that's more socially acceptable. Like the Austin heroines are usually poorer than the men if there's like a class differential. So it's kind of unusual that it's going in the other direction and it happened one night. But I think also Mm. like what you were saying or whoever it was was saying about the like paying to like date someone. It's not exactly that, but it's the similar thing of like, he just wants the story. So like, that's why he's Mm. staying with her the whole time is that he wants this big story, but he, then he falls in love with her, but then she thinks that he's just exploiting her basically. And mm. so then the, like having to prove that the emotion is real and not just like a transactional thing, which of course also plays into all the class stuff. Right. Um, yeah. Is really interesting. Um, and that movie basically like invented the, the genre um, and was like a massive sensation. I mean, like won all the Oscars and was this huge hit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And was like very racy, at, like just before the, Hayes code kicked in mm. that movie's like on the border yeah <laughs> so there's some innuendo that would not have gotten through a year later <laughs> <laughs> yeah because isn't there a scene where she like to hitch a ride shows off her shapely leg <laughs> yes <laughs> very very scandalous he should have shown off his shapely legs. I think he, I think he does actually. Does he? Oh, I think he tries and it doesn't work. Yeah, he's yeah, like, well, I can. You don't know what you're doing. Like, I know how to get through this country. Like, you're just this clueless, you know, rich girl. And she's like, I have some skills. Like, trust me. And her, her <laughs> abilities are like exploiting her femininity, right? Which he doesn't know anything about. Um, yeah, yeah. I do like that trope of like being stuck together sort of by accident or unwillingly there was i there was a trailer for a film I, uh, that was quite interesting where um 
uh, like they have a one night stand and then they get like snowed in or something into his apartment <laughs> or there's like some kind of blackout or something and she can't leave. And but she's decided in the morning that it was all a big mistake and like thinks he's terrible. And like they're both like, yeah, it was a mistake. And then over like the 48 hours or whatever it is, they get to know each other and decide, oh, all right, you're OK then. <laughs> but I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me. I never actually saw it, so. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then there was one I mentioned briefly in the kind of family category while you were sleeping, and I'm wondering if this is a trope that any of you have come across in something else, where um, uh, Sandra Bullock's character falls in love with um, this guy, just kind of because he's pretty in her vicinity um, and then she, when she, um, he goes, falls into a coma and she pulls him off the train tracks um, at her job where she works as a um, a ticket officer and oh. um, the family assumes that she's his fiance, and um, so that's, yeah. Is that while you were yeah, sleeping? Yeah, while you were sleeping, yeah. And so th- no. there is that trope of um, they've accidentally told a lie and then they can't go back on it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and But she ends up, while they are waiting for um, the original guy to come out of his coma, she falls in love with his brother instead, played by <gasps> Bill Pullman. Um, so, yeah. I uh, mean, Bill Pullman actually gets the girl? Yeah. Because in... Um, <laughs> Good grief. In, uh, That's genre-breaking. <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle, he's awful. He's terrible. <laughs> um, but in... But in uh, while you were sleeping, he's quite charming. Um, and whereas those massive 90s sort of bomber jacket type coats it's hilarious um, <laughs> and uh yeah it's um yeah as with many of these kind of 90s rom-coms many problems with it but sure. there are some fun fun moments in it and uh yeah um we're starting to come to the end of the episode i'd be interested to see if any of you have any favorite couples from rom-coms like any people who like ended up together and you're like yeah yeah, that's good. Mm. Um, that's a very good question, and I'm immediately stumped. <laughs> mm. I'll need to have a think. I'm again trying to think of every single rom-com that I can. Yes. <laughs> Would you count as good as it gets as a rom-com? Or has no one else seen it? I don't think I've seen it. I've not seen it. I think I saw it a long time ago. <sighs> it's a it's an interesting little film with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt and Greg Kinnear. Yes. No, I definitely did see that one. Yes. Um yeah, it's a hard-edged rom-com. Oh, it's ext- yeah, I, that's why I don't know if it is actually a... It's like a more of a dark comedy that happens to have a romance in it. Yeah. Like this very sort of hard-fought. Oh, yeah, no, that, yeah, I, 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 I love that film. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's very hard-edged. But then, you know, things to say, you know. <laughs> nothing wrong with waving a flag. <laughs> want of a better phrase. I'll offer a, a, a movie that's not from 1940, um, which Ooh. is uh, Notting Hill. Yes. I, which was the one that I was like obsessed with when I was, you know, 18. That was the one rom-com that was allowed in my mind to like exist. Um, <laughs> I mean, we haven't mentioned Hugh Grant once, I don't think, which is... We have not. We, I mean, obviously he's in love actually, but um, it yeah. is yeah. pretty crazy that we haven't talked about him because he's such a key part of... <laughs> The, the 90s and, and on in this yeah. genre. The Richard Curtis, Richard yeah. Curtis oeuvre. I, I could have spent 45 minutes talking about Richard Curtis movies, but it would have got done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I just was totally infatuated with him when I was, you know, 18 years old. 
But I think what works so much about Notting Hill is that it's simultaneously this complete wish fulfillment fantasy. Like, of course, we're Mm. all like, of course, if I met a movie star, they'd just fall in love with me and it would be really great. But the movie has enough of a, like, little bit of a realistic edge to it. Like, it actually isn't great. Like, she's hounded by the paparazzi and this guy, this, like, normal guy is just like, this is very weird and uncomfortable for, like, everyone. Mm. And... Like, Julia Roberts obviously is incredible. Um, And she's playing someone who doesn't feel like just this, like, dream lady. Mm. Like, she feels like an actual human. Like, she talks about, like, her, like, eating problems because she's pressured to be skinny all the time. And that Mm. she's, like, have worked under her face. And obviously it's all interacting with her star image at the time, right? And I just find, like, their chemistry so great. But also it just feels like they're humans, even though it's, of course, this, like, big sort of confection and the supporting characters are so good too, that that adds to the feeling that it's actually happening. Um, So I really love that one. And I love the two of them in that. Yeah. It's beautiful. (laughs) I think um, in some ways I'm a bit cynical about the pairings in romantic comedies. Cause I was kind of thinking about all the ones that um, I have on my list and I'm like, most of these are, yeah, the guy's probably a bit dodgy. (laughs) Not sure. (laughs) Um, but in in uh, my big fat Greek wedding, because the kind of courting romance aspect isn't as prominent, and it's like they fall in love and then the plot happens. Um, yeah, you've kind of got this solid base of like a pretty good relationship where he is willing to go through all these hoops for her Greek family to kind of get to the marriage bit mm. and um, yeah, and he's yeah, they, it just seems like they're a good partnership and. Um, they like they obviously have difficult moments, but um, yeah, they just he, like he just seems like a decent guy, just like an ordinary decent mm. guy, and so yeah, that's kind of my my pick for like yeah, they seem like they could they could have a, a long and happy relationship. Hmm. But there's there's that there's that whole concept in comedy. You've got um, ordinary people in extraordinary situations, or extraordinary people in ordinary situations. And yeah, so he's, yeah, yeah. He's obviously the the ordinary and the extraordinary scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Ian Miller. <laughs> Do you have a favourite couple then, Kareem? Oh God. <laughs> uh, oh. Uh, I, I can't pick anyone really. I suppose it's it's it's, it's tricky. Um, okay, here's 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 a, a left field one. Um, Hugh Grant's character in Paddington Two, his own love affair with himself. Does that? Count? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Felix. <laughs> Amazing, incredible, and re- and realizing having been such a, 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 a the actor of his thing all the way through, the, his first day's filming was the prison song and dance routine, <laughs> <laughs> which was brilliant. Oh, that's very good. And then going from that to watching him and um, Ben Whishaw in the the, the story about uh, Jeremy Thorpe. So, like, yeah, why is Felix and Paddington doing that to each other? Very English scandal. I rewatched that recently because <laughs> I'm a big Russell T. Davis fan girl, and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can pick a favorite couple. I think probably um, Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles uh, in 10 Things I Hate About You, just because. I guess for me, they're my favourite couple because I had a crush on both of them. Very fair. And uh, <laughs> very, very valid. And then they ended up together and I was like, okay, that works too, I guess. 
I also can't believe we haven't mentioned Bridget Jones now I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Where we have both Hugh Grant yeah. and Colin Firth. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. That's one of my favorites. And that too, mm. I think, is just like incredibly well written and doing so many interesting things with people who are already famous, right? Like it's yes. playing into what we already think about these people and how we feel about them in like really clever ways. Yeah. Obviously the fact that Hugh Grant, we weren't used to him playing horrible people yet. So then it's just like, oh, I think I think the movie's fantastic. Yeah, he's the Mr. Wickham. I, ha- I have remembered who my favourite couple is. Oh, go on. Colin Firth's uh, Uncle Jamie and Aurelia from Love, Love Actually. Because that proposal scene, it's that's just a gut-punching lover one. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Right. I think we're at the end of the episode now. Um, this has been really nice. <laughs> Talking about love and stuff. We should do more of that. <laughs> um, thank you, listener, for listening along with us. I hope we touched on a couple of your favourites. Um, sorry again for spawning last Christmas. <laughs> we were warned for it. It's just so wild. But yes, thanks for listening. Thank you, my guests, for coming on and talking about rom-coms with me. This has been so much fun. But for now, it's goodbye from me. I'll see you in the next episode. Um, would you all like to say goodbye then? Goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner, and edited by Marissa Ewing, Tessa Broom and Catherine Minella. Thanks for listening.